this morning I'm going to do somewhat of a discipleship-based message. A lot of times we, we have like an evangelistic, where, where, and not that that's wrong. We should be preaching the gospel in Jesus Christ. But I know this. I'm preaching to a lot of people that are Christians. I know this is a holiday weekend. People are traveling and gone and, and vacation and kids are getting out of school. That's great. Uh, but I, I really want to share things about real life and dealing with real life. Let me illustrate it like this. So I, I have had um, not a lot of time. You guys know that I, I announced like four or five months ago. I said, I'm about to have six of the busiest months I've ever, ever had in ministry. And God has been good to me to get me through all this and stuff. But through the busyness of that, uh, with my boys being busy, myself and whatever, I've not had a lot of time to cut my grass. Okay, I'm just being honest. Not had a, it's, been, it's been crazy. And so what I've done is I, I would go out there because of the sake is when you have neighbors, my, Tim is my neighbor, he sits right here, and he's across the street from me right there on the corner, and he looks out my yard. There's something internally about us that I don't want to look bad. You know what I'm saying? I don't want people going back and saying, that. I think that's that preacher, and he doesn't even know how to cut his grass, and if his life is as disorganized as grass, he does, you know, I'm just thinking everybody's, so you know what I did? Every time I had even a slight bit of time, I would go out there and cut the front yard. So I've got a picture of my beautiful front yard all cut. It's trimmed, the grass is cut, everything is organized and everything, and, and I did that. Well, then the next week came, and I was running out of time again, so you know what I did? cut the front yard <laughs> and I did this for weeks a lot of weeks and it kept raining and I didn't go in the backyard I don't need to go in the backyard and then one day I stepped into the backyard and this is what I found in my backyard after those weeks of doing that um you say that's bad you have no idea how bad it was I I we found Logan back there okay so <laughs> Logan went out just to find something we found him a week later and it was good to have him back in the family uh, but it was, it was pretty bad. So I think I've got another picture here. And I, 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 had to, I went out and took a tape measure. The tallest piece of grass was 29 inches. So I called in a farmer. We bailed the backyard. He, he had enough to, for his cattle for a year. And uh, so I'm, I'm, some of you right now are judging me, sitting there going, you know, that's really bad. It was really bad, okay, just so you guys know it. But, but I started thinking about that as it took me four hours to cut that. I could not just cut it. I had to keep whacking it down, and then I had to go back over it. Then I had to rake it. Then I had to put it in, and then filled four trash cans and four bags full of the grass and everything to get, to get it up there. And here's what I realized is that is real life. That, that is all of our lives when it comes to it. When we want with what people see, we go out of our way to make sure that it looks good. I, I, I've joked about this a hundred times about how when you're going in the church and you're out in the parking lot and you're yelling at the kids and you're yelling at your spouse and nothing's going right and you're all the way to church, you're yelling, you're, you're yelling at the kids in the back seat, you and your husband are not talking unless it's a, a, a remark that you're irritated with one another, all the way to church. And then you walk through the door, good morning, how are you? God is good. Isn't God, God is good all the time. And your kids are walking behind you going, who are these people? They were not in the car five minutes ago. 
And, and it's just something that we do. When we go to life group, when we sit in, in our, our, our activities and whatever, we, don't, we want everybody to think that everything is okay. We do that on social media. We will post a picture of, oh, the love of my life after you had an argument for two days beforehand. It's real life. It matters to me what other people think of me. It does. It does to you, it does to me. So what I do is I have a fence. You have a personal life. You have life at home. And everything might not be great behind the scenes of what everybody cannot see because you've let things go and they've gotten out of hand and they've gotten into a mess. But what everything sees up front, what everybody can see, we try to, we try to make sure that it looks good. See, the reason why I'm saying this is because I'm talking about real life and I'm, I, I, I told the guys there are certain things that I want to preach on because I think they're important for us as a church. I'm not just talking about in the world and evangelizing. and I'm talking about our culture, you and I, today when it comes to marriage. Now, I'm not going to... I, I say that. I know a lot of people will tune me out saying, well, I'm not married. You don't realize why it's important if you're married or not married to listen to what I'm about to say today because whether you're married or not married, what I'm preaching on is Bible. And what you need to know is even if you're not married and you're, you're older or younger, wherever you're at in life, you might be educated enough to help other people of what they need to know in life. See, I, I, love, I love talking to new couples that are getting ready for marriage. They come into my office, they're holding hands, uh, you know, I, I ask them a question, they stop, they laugh, they're looking at each other, they hold hands the whole time. You know, even though they're like across, you know, there's this big gap, they have to hold hands, you know, they're just so excited. The ring, the, you know, their cell phone rings and it's their wedding march and I could say, well, how much time do we have until you get married? And they just stop and they say, uh, two weeks, three days, 50, you know, and they down to the minute. Then I've had guys that have been married for 20, 25 years and you, you go up to them and say, Hey, man, how long have you been married? I, I don't know, 20, 20, 30, I don't know, something like that. You know, somewhere in that ball, ball uh, park, somewhere in that arena, I've been married. I had a guy in my office, and I asked him, he was, man, today is my 25th anniversary. I said, dude, that's awesome. What are you going to do? I don't know, probably just go home and watch some TV. I'm like, 25 years of marriage, that's awesome. And you're not going to do a thing. You know, oftentimes, and marriages. And, 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 and Christian marriages, there is no joy. There is no date nights. There is no surprises. There is no happiness. There is no any of those things. They end up becoming partners that pay bills, raise kids, and exist. Now, the reason why not everybody's going to be saying, hey, you know, amen, or I'm on that page, because I'm talking about your backyard today. I'm not talking about what everybody sees or what everybody thinks. I'm talking about the part of your life that everybody doesn't know because you have a fence around it and it's only your kids that know about it because they see it. It's only you and your spouse that knows about it because they see it. Google Maps knows about it because they see it. <laughs> the world that we live in. But we, be, we become partners. There's a drift. There's a slow drift. You say, how is your marriage? They come back and say something like, well, we're doing okay. I want to tell you guys, okay is not okay with God. Okay is not okay with God because it was meant to be good. I want, I want to talk about God's design for marriage and why this is so important because we trace back everything to the foundations that God established before there was church and government and schools, before there was kids 
before there was institutions, there was husband and wife. Why do you think it's so attacked today? You know, why do you think in an area of our world that there's so much confusion of something with as simple as husband and wife? Is there so much confusion? Because Satan is after to destroy our foundation. Marriage is found fundamental. It's foundational to our society. It means that other things are built upon it. And if that is shook, then everything that's built upon it will not work. If your marriage, if God started at the beginning with Adam and Eve and he brought them together, and all of a sudden that is the foundation, and then there's children, and then there's government, and there's churches, and there's institutions. If that is not right, and that is shaky, guess what else will be shaky? Everything that's built upon it. The world has attempted to ruin God's design for love and marriage. We get so upset about it. In our culture, man, we, we, we've just adapted things, uh, uh, premarital sex, and all the things that go against God, and going against what God has wanted, and what God has established, and God said, this is not right. And we have the same things. When we sit there and talk about same-sex marriage and Christians will get all up in arms and say, man, that makes me so mad and irritated. And we come back and say, why does that irritate you? You know what Christians will say? Listen to this. It goes against God's design. Your marriage as a Christian couple not working and thriving goes against God's design. So to sit there and look at the world and say, I can't believe they are doing wrong because they're not doing it God's way. And then for us to walk into our own homes and not do it God's way is just as wrong. Sit there and say, sin is sin. Yes, sin is sin. We've got sin that we sit so worked up about it. And yet, and I'm not saying that we have perfect marriages or things like that. Man, life is so complicated. But when we have dying marriages... When God did not intend for marriages to be dying or okay or existing, it's not right. Let me interject something too with all the single people here or divorced people. Divorced people, let me say that God is a God of healing and God of hope. I know there's hurting people in here, man. You just hear a message like this and you're just thinking, man, I don't even want to hear this. God is a God of grace and healing. God is able to do a miraculous work in your life, even though you look back at your life of marriage and think, man, all it is is pain and hurt. For the single people in here, whether you're single because you've been divorced or single because of the fact that you're not yet married, please listen up to the things that I'm about to say of why this is so important. By way of introduction, let me just explain to you our marriages are important because they are a reflection of our relationship with God. There's not many things that God has given us that has come up to be a direct parallel when it comes to things like this. We talk about a father and a son. We are the children of God. But it is also the example of God has given us when it comes to marriage. The Bible began and ends with marriage. The Bible from the very beginning, in the beginning, Genesis 2.18, and God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. It was God's design to do that. I can take you all the way to the end of Revelation. At the end, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we are the bride of Christ, and he comes back for his bride. Begins and ends with the illustration of marriage. God looked at Adam and put him asleep. And he said, and God said, and God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. And Adam slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh there, there instead. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. God had to knock out Adam because Adam would not have gotten what he needed if he would have had a say-so on what he needed. God knocked out Adam 
God went and prepared a woman and brought them together. That is God's way. God knows what you need more than you know what you need. God knows what he's doing. But I, I've, I've taught on this before, the symbolism, the rib that God took from Adam. He made an Eve. Eve was part of Adam, and Adam was part of Eve. A lot of times when we're teaching kids downstairs, and we're sitting there saying, and God took the rib, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. God formed Eve out of the rib of Adam. And when you say, why was that? There was plenty of dirt where God could have knelt down and did it again with Eve, but he didn't. It was symbolic. The fact that God said, hey, Adam, something's missing of you, and it's part of her. Eve, part of you is part of him. God made us connected in such a way that it's different than everything else. They did not just coexist. They were connected. God designed the woman. God designed relationship. God designed marriage. God designed them for each other. Eve was good for Adam, and Adam was good for Eve. It's God's way. At the end of Genesis 1, he says this. He said, it was very good. What God did, he said it was good. Now, the reason why I'm pointing that out, I'm saying this because of the fact is if God made it to be very good, and it's not good, your marriage does not line up with God's design. A couple years ago, I spoke on marriage on Sunday morning, and I want you to go back to the same passage that I was. I, I, I had a different uh, purpose of the message then I want to take you to points that I did not point out then so Proverbs chapter 5 turn to Proverbs chapter 5 verse 18 I was talking about um, the purity of marriage and intimacy and God's design and we, we use the illustration of thirsty and what he said in chapter 6 and all the illustrations that he had about drinking waters out of thine own cisterns and, and you can go back and look up that message at another time but in Proverbs five eighteen. He still gave this principle of launching marriage of what it was designed to be from God. And a lot of times we, we look at Proverbs of wisdom for relationships, for friendships, to, uh, I mean, how to live, how, how to uh, get along with people. But this focuses in on marriage. He said, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant rose, description of beauty, description of a deer, description of grace, let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. This is God's design. So I'm going to show you this. Number one, your marriage was designed by God to be passionate. Your marriage was created, designed by God to be passionate. Now the word here that is used for this is the word ravished. Ravish explains intensity or desire. It, it talks about the idea of being intoxicated, to reel in, to be enraptured. Literally meaning, it's, it's, it's not used a lot in scripture, but in marriage it zones in on this and says, be thou ravished with her love. Literally being taken back. You say, I was. When I met her, I was. When we were dating, I was the first six months or whatever it is but you realize that there is not a time frame put on this when God's design was established for this. Be thou ravished always with her love. Not to exist. Not to be stagnant. Not to be broken. Not to be okay. Be thou ravished. 
literally means it's alive. The things that God gives us are alive. It grows. It gets better. It says always with her love. It's the driving force. You realize it's driven by God's love. And the reason why I say this is so many men, so many people would say, well, that's not just me. Let me just establish. Every single one of us are different in this room. Okay, I mean, we, we could sit there and say, well, I'm not like, I'm not, don't expect me to be like so-and-so. He's so, you know, clingy or he's so romantic or he's so, you know, writing poetry and, you know, sending all these love notes and that's just me. I get it. You, don't try to be like somebody else, okay? But at the same time, there should be love in your life because the fact is, if you are a Christian here today, you have God's love inside of you. The Bible even explains this, that love that he was talking about Beloved, let us love for one another, for love is of God. Do you understand that? The love that we love each other with has come from God. Now, we can look at the world, and we see that the world is filled with lust, and it doesn't last, and every show, and every bachelor show, that the bachelorette, and all these TV shows that they have, and they sit there at the end of it. You realize that it's a whole season not saying I watch it. Everybody's like, he watches The Bachelor. Not saying I watch The Bachelor. But this whole thing is driven by lust. It's driven by appearance. God said the love that I'm going to have, that I'm going to give husband and wife, is driven by God. When you got saved, God gave you something real that is powerful. You see, the thing is, God's love is passionate. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That word love that we're tying this into in Proverbs was talking about that be thou ravished with her love. That love that we have is powerful. Passionate means a lot of things, but passionate means showing or caused by strong feelings or strong belief. There's something in us. It's different. There's something in us. A drive. It's weird for Christians to give up a week to put on a play, to put on, uh, to stand around with kids that are not acting right and running around and saying things they shouldn't say, but we do it for a week to love on these kids. And you say, what drives you? You say, I love my God. I love the gospel and I love to give it. There's a driving force there. For some of you, you just walked out of Sunday school. You said, man, I love those kids. I love to give the gospel. I love to teach. You said, where does that come from? When other people are sitting there saying, I'd rather be home or I'd rather sleep in. There's something in you that, was, that is, is God's love. It's a driving force. See, God's love for us was passionate. For God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. You think about that. God's love pursued us. Talking about the love of God that's in us. God's love pursued us. God's love is sacrificial. He denied himself. Took on the form of a servant. Served the disciples. He washed their feet. Even the ones that would betray him. He endured difficulty. He loved them beyond their faults. He forgave them. It's a parallel between our relationship with husbands and wives is a relationship with us and God. That's why he says, husband, love your wives. That's what he said. Even as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for it. It's the love that he gave. Gave himself. It was passion of the Christ. At Easter time, we always talk about the, the movie 
Or, or a lot of church says, come and hear about the passion of the Christ. The desire of God was us. God, God communes with us. God desires to commune with us. It's an intimate, personal, growing relationship. Can you imagine, and I've used this illustration before because it's so applicable. Can you imagine if your relationship with each other was even remotely close to our relationship with God when we described it? Let, let me illustrate it like this. Some people we look at newlyweds, and guys, marriage changes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Marriage changes. It will not be the same when you're first married in that first year as opposed to when you have three kids. It will not be the same, okay? Traveling will not be the same. You know, going out to dinner will not be the same. Nothing is the same. But the thing that should remain the same and be real is the love that you have for each other. That part grows. But you can imagine if we described our relationship with God, if, if, if uh, you know, people say, well, well, you've been married as long as we have. You know, it gets old. It's not a big deal. My old ball and chain. You know, all these jokes that we say about my old lady at home and all things. You say, well, well you, you, that, and I, I was, me and Jenny were just married. We, we went back home. We were at this youth rally, and I was walking up the hill to where this youth rally is. They had this tent. Pastor Dave was actually the director of this youth rally that we were going to, and me and Jenny were holding hands. And I had a relative that was walking behind us and says, enjoy it now, buddy. That doesn't last very long. And he's making all these jokes about how all that fades away, about how it just dies off, how, it, you know, all these different things like that. You can imagine if our relationship with God was that, like that. I mean, you'd say, man, you never get excited anymore. Man, you, you, there's, there's no passion for the songs. There's no passion for God. There's no passion for singing and some studies. Well, dude, when you've been saved as long as I have, it just becomes old hat. You know, can you imagine saying that? He'd say, no, 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 no. Pastor Tony, do you understand that the longer I'm saved, the more I know about God? The more I know about God, the more I love God, the more I want to be around him. It never gets old. His mercy is new every day. My God is amazing. He's awesome. He's faithful. He's there. He's loving. He's full of grace and mercy. And then God says to us, love your wives. As Christ so loved the church, it changes things. That's the level, that's the example, that's the driving force that God has given us. It's created by God to be passionate, to be alive, to be better. You should be closer now. You should be closer now than when you first met your spouse. Let me ask you this question. And I said, I'm doing this as discipleship right now. Let me provoke you to love and good works. For every married person in this room right now, is your marriage or relationship better today than it was when you first started? Don't answer out loud, please. <laughs> it was like, oh. Is it better today than it was when you first started? You see, God created it. God designed it to be passionate let, let, let me go back to that backyard illustration. You see, it might be that the front yard looks great, but the backyard, your, your marriage, all the things behind the scenes, all the things when you get home are not. I, I've talked to a lot of people that have lost their marriages, and they've said to me, Tony, we put up a good front for a very long time, but let me be honest, things were not the same at home as what people thought. Surveys have been done in churches to find out that many couples are not happy, but they keep moving forward for the sake of testimony and the sake of their children, the sake of ministries. You can only fake it for so long, and let me say this, you are not faking it to your kids. 
I, I say this because Satan loves it when it's like this. Because here's what happens. We are losing ground in America when it comes to biblical marriage. I'm not saying that to be negative or like, oh man, it was like he's just... No, I'm, I'm saying it to be truthful. We are losing ground in America when it comes to biblical marriage. And we can get so upset about it. But our kids, we don't even like to accept this. There's been a couple of times this year that I've been invited for public activities and school uh, functions and things like that. And I've been there and I, I've, been, I've had my eyes open as to how big, how big the agenda is on the other side against traditional marriage or the, the, uh, giving the alternatives and things. And our culture and TV and social media, they are getting it from every single angle possible. We are quickly, and I'm not saying this to be negative, I'm just being truthful. In the last day, perilous times will come. Wake up. But I'm saying this to be truthful of the fact is, as things get worse in our culture, and then we sit there and say, hey, listen, God has a way, and God's designed his marriage, and God's designed it for a man and woman to come together, and then your kids are raised in a home that all it is is bickering, fighting, and fake. How in the world are we proving to them that we are right and they are wrong? Because the one thing that they do know is there's hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. And the last thing they want is to do or be anything like their parents. It's not contagious. It's gross to them. It's a matter of you sit there and the world says that, we're sitting there saying that the world is wrong for the direction and things they're doing. And yet I walk into a home that is supposed to be ravishing, it's supposed to be happy, it's supposed to be good. And yet we walk into Christian homes and it's fighting bigger. And I'm not saying you don't have problems. You realize that problems and your marriage can be one of the best things that ever happened to your kids? Fighting. Or having disagreement with your spouse can be one of the best things that you could ha possibly have in your marriage. And you say, why? Because that is real life. It depends on how you handle it. Because one day they're going to get married and one day they're going to fall in love and they have relationships. You're teaching them now how to handle it. And when you sit there and you go back to them and say, honey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was mad. I had a bad day. I took it out on you. I'm, and they're watching that. It's good for them to watch that as much as they did you slamming the door and walking out. Because then you teach them that real life there's anger and real life there's problems. And I'm not justifying saying, hey, Pastor Tony said this is real life. So, you know, get out of my face. Yeah, I'm not saying that whatsoever. But I am saying that when we teach them how to deal with conflict, we're teaching them an example. They don't learn marriage in school. They're not going to learn marriage on the internet. They're not going to learn it on Snapchat and Instagram. They're going to learn it from you. So what are they learning every single day that they watch you? Because that's their on-the-job training for what they're going to get when they get out. And if they're repulsed by it and they're not drawn to it, but man, what a desire. Actually, let me roll right into this next part. It's designed to be passionate. It's designed to be happy. Go back to our verse, Proverbs 5.18. He says, let thy fountain be blessed. That is what we addressed last time when we got into this. And rejoice with the wife of thy youth. It does not say thy youthful wife, okay? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't have to rejoice with you. You got old, lady. You know, it's like, it's not saying that whatsoever. It's saying the wife of thy youth, the one that you fell in love with. Rejoice. He uses two words in there that you, need to, that you need to focus. The word blessed means happy. 
God's design for it to be ravishing means it to be happy. But then it also brings out rejoice. Rejoice literally is saying with this to celebrate, to cheer up, to be glad, to be very happy. You know why it's good? Because when everybody at work is sitting there saying, man, I got to go home to my old ball and chain. I got to go home to the old lady. My, she won't let me do anything. And I, da, 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 da. you know, this is, this is true life. This is around us every single day. There's no joy in it because something's missing. If they don't have God, they don't have true love. God is love. And then you rejoice. And I'm not saying that you brag, but I tell you there should be say something about, man, why are you so happy? Why, what has kept you guys together for so many years? You know what it does? It gives us a platform to testify or shine as Christians, as a believer, to who God is. Not down grading them and, and uh, belittling them and all the other stuff that the world does. You realize that a ravish, rejoicing, happy, and blessed relationship is based on our relationship with God and the joy and the love that he gives us. Let me close with this. God's design for marriage is to be passionate. It was designed by God to be happy. It was designed by God to last. It says in Proverbs 5.19, And be thou ravished, and the next word is, always. With her love, always. Guys, the physical side of marriage will change. And I know a lot of people, they sit there. But, and the reason why I'm not talking about the physical side of marriage, you, you get the love right, the, the other part will follow. A, a lot of times we, we have everything out of sorts of our relationship. But God said, be ravished always with her love. You realize that life changes, but God created love in such a way that it can be when we make the commitment till death do us part. But I don't think we've accepted that. Because we get out so easy, problems are going to come, conflict is going to come. But God's relationship with us does not fail. Our relationship with each other does not have to fail. If it's failing, listen to me, if it is failing, because you are not doing it God's way. I say this because I know the problems that we have in our cultures, we're not reaching people like we should because maybe it's because we have to address the foundation of marriage. You think about this. Let me go back to the way that I started with this. He said, be thou ravished always. It was God's intention for it to last. And I want you to think about this. And God took Adam, put him asleep, took the rib from him, and put it into Eve, and they became one flesh. You are now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This would, that it shall cleave his father and mother and cleave into his spouse. Do you realize that the only way that you can separate according to God's plan is to rip that apart? It's not just separating. And anybody that's been divorced will sit here and say, let me tell you, it hurts. It's a lot of pain on me. It's a lot of pain on my kids. It's a lot of pain. And I'm not saying that to look back on you and say, man, look at all. The, but I'm saying from here on forward, we can look forward. And I'm saying you cannot just walk away from God's design without doing major damage because you cannot separate physically the rib from Eve without tearing her apart. I want to be honest with you. Just, I, I struggled with this and I thought, man, I don't, I don't even want to know if I want to preach this because the fact is so many people are going to be like, man, it's going to raise so many questions. It's going to raise so many feelings. It's going to be like, man, my, my marriage is not happy. It's not good. 
It's not growing. It's not better. You pass Pastor Tony. Is, is it better than it was? And you'd sit there and say, no, it's not better. It's not better. It's not a, it's not a switch that you flip. My, my yard didn't get that way overnight. It didn't get that way overnight. It was neglect. And I let it go, and I let it go, and I let it go, and I let it go. And then to get in there, I was frustrated. I was angry. I hated my lawnmower, and I hated grass seed, okay? I did. I wasn't saying, God, thank you for this grass. I was like, this is sinking. Yeah, I was, I was aggravated. And to fix it, it's aggravating. It's hard because it didn't get that way overnight. And I thought, man, I should have gotten up and say, here's four ways to fix your marriage. You realize that it's not just four simple, easy steps. I'm not here to give you an infomercial. I'm here to say that he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I'm here to say that God established a church for iron to sharpen iron. And if you are not around other Christians that are going to make you better, then you are not being sharpened the way that God created us to be. God has created us to be disciples. God has created us to share life together. God has created the church to be more than coming, sitting, and worshiping. But for our lives to intertwine, our problems to intertwine, our days to intertwine, that we make each other better constantly. How many of you in here testify right now? Don't, don't worry about what people think about you. You raise your hand and say that my marriage has gone through some really hard times. Raise your hand right now. Hi, higher, higher. I want to see him. I want to see him. Do you guys look around and see that? Now put your hands back. How many of you guys say that we went through really hard times, but God brought you through? Raise them back up. You see that? The reason why I'm doing that, because you have a story. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. What are you doing with that story? Because the other couple sit there going, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. There's no way. And then you step up and say, let me tell you what we went through. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. I had no idea. This is real life, okay? We're talking, but we're, we're kicking the, 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 the gate to the back door or to the backyard and we're just going to get real with this. Because this is real life. So I know this isn't a come to Jesus message like we normally had during the Easter season. This is just a matter of this is real life. And if your life is not right, maybe it's, it's a conversation that you have after church. Maybe you just come and pray because you realize that your marriage is not being built on Jesus Christ. But I'm saying that it can get better starting today. And when we start making our marriages better, that foundation gets stronger and everything we build upon it gets better as well.